My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, I titled my sermon, Water for the Restless and Thirsty Heart. When I was a young man, I was fortunate enough to live uh, in South Africa for many years, and one of the great things that I got to do was my dad flew over to visit, and we hopped a plane and we flew to Harare, Zimbabwe. And we spent a few days there in the city with a, a church plant that was there. And then after like two days, we got in a very, <laughs> we got in a very small airplane and flew uh, out to the middle of nowhere. Uh, we got picked up in a big old truck. I got thrown in the back while my dad got to ride in the front because it wasn't a double cab. So I mean, it, it was covered in the back, right? So I'm you know, laying in the back of the truck and we're just driving out more and more and more to the middle of nowhere. My dad had a friend who had a large ministry in Zimbabwe there. Unfortunately, he had to flee the country uh, because of, well, there's wide, pu- widely publicized issues of what the government has been doing in Zimbabwe. But before all that started, this, this friend of my dad had a ministry in Zimbabwe there where they would teach people skills uh, that they could use to get jobs and you know, better themselves. But one of the things that they would do is they would go out to these rural villages, like in the middle of nowhere, like nowhere and they would dig a well well why would they dig a well well because where there's water there's life right so if they could dig a well then people could more people could come and settle there and they could drink if they could dig a well then that meant that they could get water to irrigate crops if they could irrigate crops that means they could plant more crops and if they could plant more crops and that meant they can then start taking some of those crops and selling it to other villages all over the place and start to prosper and to lift them out, get lifted up out of uh, out of poverty because of being dug a well, and then they would also, you know, plant a little village church, which had that that one village was just a bunch of logs outside with like a kind of like a little thatch roof over the top, and that was their that was their church. But it all started with the digging of a well, and I started thinking about that how we need water to survive, we need water to quench our thirst, and when you're Especially when you're in places like Africa out in the heat, water is a necessity. And if you're deprived of it for long enough, you will die fairly, fairly quickly. And this made me think of the people in the desert uh, that we heard from the book of Exodus this morning. They're journeying through the wilderness and they come to a particular spot to camp. And there's no water at this spot. So they quarrel with Moses and they say, give us water. And their quarreling gets so bad, Moses said to God, God, they're going to kill me over this. And Moses tells the people, hey, don't test, don't test the Lord, by the way. See, asking for water in this story, you know, it sounds like a reasonable thing, right? So why does he say don't test God? Let's keep a few things in mind here first. Remember, God has just delivered them from Egypt through his mighty acts, right? So the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. So you would think that they would trust that God would provide for them at the spot where there was no water because in the previous chapter, what did God give them from heaven? Bread, right? Manna. The previous chapter, God's like, you guys are hungry. Here, go outside in the morning. You're going to see this bread on the ground. Gather it up. Eat it. Don't save it on, on, 
uh, unless it's the Sabbath, right? And uh, some listen and, and some don't. But God provides for them bread. If, they, if he's going to provide bread for them, also another staple for survival, wouldn't you think that he would also provide them something to drink? I think that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. Right? They should trust that God will look after them and walk with them as he has been up to that point as they journey to the land promised to them. And we say, well, this is how they test the Lord. The text actually tells us this is what it was. They said, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? In light of all of the things that God has done for them up until that point, they say, is God really with us? That's testing God. Never goes over well when they do that. Also kind of a sin. So Moses takes the elders and he takes the staff, right, that he used when he parted the Red Sea. And this is a sign to the leaders of the people that, you know, they need to follow Moses and to trust God. And the rod, you know, that staff is, it's a sign of God's active presence among them, right? He uses it in the parting of the Red Sea. In the following chapter here in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 18, Moses is going to be, no, he doesn't have the staff. I think he just has his hands, right? But the, the staff is very important. Like he throws it down on the ground in Egypt and it turns into a snake. It's, it's a sign of God's power and presence among them. God says, take this staff and strike the rock. And he does. And water flows. Water flows. And they drink. God was leading them somewhere. But instead of trusting in him, they immediately thought of how they could gratify their thirst. I'm thirsty. Give it to me now. In other words, their desire led them to question God and his goodness. And call into question all that he had done for them. Is the Lord among us or not? And this highlights, brothers and sisters, the powers that desire has over us. And our desires cannot be satisfied or quenched by water or by immediate gratification. And we see that they drank of the water from the rock. But again, they were moved to testing God while in the wilderness. So much so, when they get to the promised land, God says, enough. This entire generation will die off and will not see the promised lad. You will not enter. Your kids will get it, but you will not. And the only ones to enter are Joshua and Caleb out of that generation. Let's look at St. Paul's reading from the book of Romans. So this portion of Romans is quite controversial, right? But one thing that I've noticed about this text from Romans is that certain Preachers, they'll, they'll use Romans 1 as a litmus test of things that makes God angry, right? All of these things really make God angry. Let's not do them. But Paul doesn't say that here with Romans 1. What he's doing here is he's giving an overview for his ongoing argument in the book how no one has any excuse before God, right? Because he's, he's talking to the Jews and to the Gentiles at the church in Rome. And he's going to say, none of you have an excuse, you, he's going to develop this throughout the book. You who the law was given and you who did not have the law, nobody has any excuse before God. And he's saying here in Romans 1, not that God is going to reveal his wrath against all of these things that he talks about. What he's saying here is that God's wrath has already been revealed. Why these sin and sinful actions are in the world is because it says God gave them over, right? In other words, God eventually gave people what he wanted. Like when my son says, Dad, snack! I better give it to you right now. 
Usually if he goes, Dad, snack! And I say, okay, why don't you sit there for a minute and ask me again nicely. Dad, may I please have a snack? Yes, I will give you a snack. Are you hungry? Yes, okay. It's not good to always get what you want. There's a cartoon that our family loves to watch with the kids because they love it and it's actually one of the better cartoons on, on Disney but there's this one episode where the kids go to the grandma's, the Nana's house, right? And uh, the one has a temper tantrum and continues to break down and break down. At the end of the episode, the grandma, Nana says, there's only one rule in my house, everybody gets what they want. And it's supposed to be cute, right? And I understand that, right? But imagine, imagine living your life that way. At Nana's house, everybody gets what they want. There's no, hey, maybe you should calm down. Take your time. I know you're little, but maybe you just need to calm down a little bit and stop screaming before, right? We give you the tutu so you can finish your ballet thing, right? Which is what was happening in the episode, right? And so this plays out in the fracturing of human relationships and the disruption of the natural order that God had intended for us, right? When our passions or our desires are not are not tamed, people turn away to fulfill them in any way they can, right? And so this means then that when we do these things, we are filled with unrighteousness. And this is meant to be in stark contrast to what he says at the beginning of the passage about not being ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And he says that the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the righteous shall live by faithfulness. That's what, when you see faith in the scriptural text, it's not just talking about mere belief. I believe X, Y, and Z, or I believe A, B, C to be true. Belief in the scriptures is acknowledgement of the things that we confess, but then it's also our ongoing trustworthy reliance and loyalty to God, our obedience to God. That's what faith is in the scriptures. We, I think, have lost I think in some ways this aspect of faithfulness because we've focused so much on the right thing to believe, we've neglected the ongoing life of faithfulness, loyalty, and trust to God, which is what faith is and what St. Paul means when he talks about faith, particularly here as well in the book of Romans. And this is what the gospel empowers us to do, to live by faith, to righteously live by faith. Now we move to the woman at the well and she says, give me some water, right? to Jesus after he offers it to her. She doesn't demand it of him, notice. So passing through Samaria, Samaria Jesus comes to a small town, right? And you've, you've, you've heard a thousand times, probably from me, right? About how the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans were in conflict because the Samaritans are descended from the 10 tribes of Israel that were destroyed by the Assyrians. Uh, the survivors assimilated into the Assyrian culture and then later returned to the land that they were taken away from. They set up their own worship space. They had their own Torah called the Samaritan Torah. And it's into this environment. So there's hostility right between the Jews and the Samaritans. Between the Jews are like, here's the temple. This is where we worship. And the Samaritans are like, no, no, we have our own mountain and our own Torah over here. This is where you're supposed to worship. Jesus enters into this situation. He actually sets that straight. He says, you don't know what you worship. We do because salvation is of the Jews. But he says the Lord is looking for worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? And so being thirsty Jesus says to this woman at the well hey can you give me something to drink? And instead of saying yes or no she comments on their ethnic differences. Jesus responds if you knew who I was you would be asking me for a drink instead. And the woman says Wow, I don't, you don't have anything to draw from the well. Also, this well belonged to Jacob. Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus basically responds, well, yeah. I mean, 
You know, because this water, you'll continue to be thirsty. But the thirst, that the water that I have give, the, the, it'll be quenched forever. And then she asks for some, please give me some of this water. And Jesus says, call your husband. As usual, Jesus getting to the root of the problem. And she said, and she's like, well, I don't have one. And he's like, you said right, because you've had five. And the person you're with right now is not your husband. And modern commentators have had a field day with this one. And they wind up missing the point. But we're not going to comment on that uh, this morning. The point being is that her thirst, her desire for something is leading her to live in a way that was sinful. Her desire maybe for companionship, maybe for love. Good things, right, led her to pursue relationships with, that were sinful. And that's kind of the point. And Jesus' point here is, if you would give, drink the water that I offer you, you would never be thirsty again. That the water that he will give will meet her in the innermost part of her soul. And that water will quench what that thirst being expressed in a, in, a, in a sinful way will get to the root of that and heal that and satisfy that thirst. So, in today's reading, uh, in today's prayer before we, we, in the service, it's called the collect, and we said this, Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is a quote taken from St. Augustine in his book, The Confessions. And if you've never read Confessions by St. Augustine, I would highly recommend that you do. But he said this, he made this observation, right, that we have been made for God and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Right, so when we look at all of the readings that we've just heard, the hearts of the Israelites, they were restless. And their restless hearts, their thirsty hearts, it was demonstrated through their impatience. Their restless, thirsty hearts played out in how they demanded things. Their restless, thirsty heart played out in how they tested God. Is God with us even after God did all of those things? Restless, thirsty hearts. The heart of the Samaritan woman is restless. And this is demonstrated by her having five husbands. Right? This is Elizabeth Taylor, right? Well, Elizabeth Taylor's got her beat. She had like, what, 4,000? I don't know. <laughs> not to speak ill of the dead, but the Samaritan woman, five husbands, and the one she's with now is not her husband. Restless hearts turning towards things that will not satisfy, demanding things that ultimately will not satisfy. And brothers and sisters, that's us, right? Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are thirsty. Our hearts are tossed all over the place by culture, through our friends, through our peers. We all, like Paul said in Romans, we all suppress the truth. Every one of us does it. We have all exchanged God's glory for something lesser. For something lesser. Right? And even though St. Paul lists all of the things that we have said to God, this is what we want. Give me, give me, give me. And God eventually in his wrath doesn't say strike down. God eventually in his wrath says, okay, you can have what you want. It's a little bit way, a different way of thinking of God's wrath, right? We think of God, uh, uh, we think of God's wrath, we think, uh, you know, anger and some people picture fireballs and lightning and all that stuff. But that's not how the wrath of God works. The wrath of God is God's withdrawal, in a sense. 
But here's the thing. Jesus, God the Son, enters into that mess. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel and how the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. As even though all of these things are happening, natural order in, in, in human relationships, the way we treat one another, even though all of that has been fractured by sin, Jesus enters into all of that. God doesn't just sit back on the sidelines and watch everything crash and burn. God enters into that. And he says, drink of the water that I will give you. You're thirsty. You're restless. If you drink this water that I have to give, you will thirst no more. The restless heart, the thirsty heart will no longer be restless or thirsty. Because our souls will have been oriented towards that which what we were created for. And even though human beings have been given over to what they desire, Jesus enters into this and he offers us new life. He offers living water. Water that will never cause us to thirst again. Water that will save us. Water that will cleanse us. Water that will cause us to become righteous. Water that will enable us to live by faith. See, humanity, as we're left to our own devices... We demand what we want. I want what I want and I want it now. But Jesus doesn't demand. Jesus says, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, you would ask him to give you living water. And you know what? He would give it if we ask. And he does. He offers the living water to us without cost. No strings, no attachments. Drink of this water and your restless, thirsty hearts will be satisfied. The thirst will be quenched. And there's no cost to that. So let us brothers and sisters reach out, take and drink and be forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen.